motherfuckers You think it's a game? You think it's a fucking game? Come on! Kaufman, it is no holds barred. Today's program, we are bringing the heat, we are bringing the fire. On the program today, we've got NBA action, super teams being formed. The Boston Celtics got their man. And we've got live tennis, Wimbledon action day three from the studio. The big guns are in action. This is no holds barred. For my people that'll keep you looking see through and fucking try to creep through. So here we are, no holds barred, and what a program we've got on deck today. We've got live Wimbledon day three here from the studio. Andy Murray is just about to head on court now to play his second round match with the flashy German with the dreadlocks, Dustin Brown. He's a dangerous player. Uh... Murray looked sharp in his first round against my boy Bublik, but this one will be more of a test. Dustin Brown, his best surface is grass. He's had his best performances at Wimbledon on the grass because of his attacking play. But he's been really a bit of a journeyman over his uh, career. Highly talented, but hasn't always had the focus, mindset, or probably the work ethic as well. Um, we have spoken a lot about that since these Wimbledon championships have started. And uh, those boys are in the warm-up right now, so we'll keep you posted on that as we progress through uh, as we progress through the show. Joe Wilfred Songer got through 6-1-7-5-6-2 against the Italian Bellelli. Songer looks very impressive in the first couple of rounds. And the great Roger Federer has got the day off today. He's on the practice courts as we speak as well. He plays the Serbian Lajovic in round two before things start to get a little bit tougher for the, for the great man. But in saying that, we're going to get back on the tennis here shortly, but we're going to segue onto NBA basketball. Free agency continued overnight, and the Boston Celtics have got their man. We have spoken about this on the program, and Gordon Haywood is leaving the Utah Jazz to join the Boston Celtics on a four-year deal valued at, wait for it, $127 million cash. And that's in American dollars too. So Haywood to Boston on a four-year deal to join them, to join Beantown, and that throws them into serious contention to challenge the Cleveland Cavaliers for the Eastern Conference Championship next year but I don't think Boston's done they're going to need another player to add to that mix to add to the 
the Haywood, Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford mix. Because I still think Cleveland, with LeBron James, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, I still think that is the team that gets through in the Eastern Conference. That is if there is no more player movement between those two teams. Now, Haywood was a big domino piece. He was a big piece, and the dominoes will start to fall now. He was the main piece there, and now that he's joined Boston and shunned the Utah Jazz and shunned the Miami Heat, who wined and dined him down there in South Beach, he's going to be in the green next season. Other players will start to take shape. The other one that's still out there, Carmelo Anthony, there's talk of him going to the Houston Rockets, but Cleveland is still working feverishly behind the closed doors to get Carmelo Anthony to put them over the top to challenge the Golden State Warriors next year. Now, speaking of the Golden State Warriors, Kevin Durant has taken a $9 million, taken $9 million less than what he could, could have gotten this year to keep the team together, to keep that championship-caliber team together. So the pattern of taking less money to win championships is on show once again. So because Durant took $9 million less, that allowed the Golden State Warriors to re-sign Andre Iguodala for $48 million over three years. He's a very, very important piece. Now Durant clearly taking $9 million less for the good of the team but he's got a two year deal there he'll he'll opt out of that deal next year and then take mega cash over five years similar to similar to a curry a 200 million dollar deal so Durant is taking less this year but he's thinking long term he's thinking more about legacy about his brand a bit of short term sacrifice for long term benefits off the court smart move from Durant but he's not really going to miss take miss that $9 million when last year alone he made $36 million worth of endorsements off the, off the basketball court. So Durant, who made that $36 million in off-court endorsements last year, is clearly thinking long-term. The more championships that he's able to win during this window with the Golden State Warriors the more money he's going to make off the court through those endorsements. So very, very smart thinking. And it makes me think back to when LeBron James was the, was the game changer with this. When he left the Cleveland Cavaliers the first time and took his talents down to Miami, he was the first one to do this, to put, to, to put two superstars together and with him being the third superstar to form a, a so-called super team with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. And what did he do? He took less money, and because he was willing to take less money, Bosh took a pay cut, Wade took a pay cut, and they just figured it out. And now what we're finding around the league is other players and other teams are copying that. Players are coming together and they're, they're talking and they're saying, hey, listen, we've made a lot of money. But now it's about winning. Now it's about competing at the highest level. It's about taking less to gain more. And it got me thinking, is this good for the league? 
I mean, is this good to have four or five teams that are absolutely incredible, just loaded with talent, with the very best players, forming a team, forming a roster, taking less, and completely dominating the league, chasing that ring? Are dominant super teams good for the league? Are we going to have four or five teams that are absolutely phenomenal and the rest of the teams basically making up the numbers? Constantly trying to get out of the to get out of the gutter, trying to work their way up, but they can't attract free agents because one, they're either a small market team, two, traditionally speaking, they've never been successful, so why would you want to go there? Three, the location is not really ideal. Example, Oklahoma City Thunder. Would you rather play in Oklahoma City or would you rather play in Miami, in South Beach? Would you rather play in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Or would you rather play in Los Angeles, Hollywood? So these are the things that I think NBA Commissioner Adam Silver is going to have to think about. Because this doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. That's for sure. Houston, with Chris Paul going across to team up with James Harden. Now there's talk of Carmelo Anthony coming across. So the stronger these teams get, the weaker these other teams become as well. And it really comes down to, are the best athletes and the best players in the league, are they getting too much control? Because the owners used to dominate the players. The owners are the ones that were in control. But now it seems the balance of power has shifted and it all started with LeBron James taking his talents to South Beach and forming that Miami Heat super team that went on and played in four straight NBA finals, winning two rings. We've seen a pattern since then. And LeBron James is the one that has shifted the power. He's empowered the rest of the players in the league to say, you know what? We're in control, not the owners. This is our career. If I want to play there, I'll play there. And I'll play with this person. And we'll take less money. And we'll form a super team. And we'll win 60 games. So it's interesting. This is going to be a pattern that continues to take place. And all Duran is doing is copying LeBron James. Without a shadow of a doubt. Golden State are red-hot favourites to win the title again next year. No question about that. Yes, Boston have improved. Haywood to Boston improves them, without a doubt. I still don't think they can get through Cleveland if Cleveland stays intact. But super teams are forming everywhere. And if teams are going to sleep and wait and work for the draft, they're going to get left behind. The era of the super teams is in full effect and it doesn't look like it's slowing down. This is no holds barred. So Haywood moves on to the Boston Celtics. Four years, $127 million of cold, hard cash. And if you're a Utah Jazz fan or you are a part of the Utah Jazz organization... You'd have an empty feeling right about this morning. The Utah Jazz drafted Gordon Haywood out of Butler University 
four years ago, and they've developed him to the point where he now averages around about 25 points a game, five rebounds and five assists. He made his first all-star team this year, I believe, in the Tough West, in the Tough Western Conference, where there is a lot more high-quality guards and wing players in the Western Conference as opposed to the Eastern Conference. So if the Utah Jazz, that leaves a gaping hole, a very, very big hole and a very big setback for their franchise moving forward. The Miami Heat, well, they missed out. They wind and dine Haywood down there in South Beach. But in the end, I think the allure of the Boston Celtics joining a team that is already one of the best in the Eastern Conference and being reconnected with his old coach, Brad Stevens from Butler, who was one of the top young coaches in the NBA. And he's taken over the Celtics and has them moving in the right direction. But in terms of the decision-making for Haywood, it really was a bit of a no-brainer. That's why I've been really pumping this move and thinking that it was really a done deal uh, as, soon as, uh, as soon as the free agency period started. And why do you ask? You say, well, why would uh, he leave Utah when he can make more money there in Utah and stay with his original team? He would have been eligible for a five-year deal somewhere in excess of $170 million cash. But he takes, his, he takes his potential and he takes his ability and his gifts to the Boston Celtics. And when you look at it and you break it down, it was always going to happen. So why did this move make sense? Well, the Eastern Conference is not as strong as the Western Conference. As simple as that. The Western Conference players, star players are joining the Western Conference left, right and centre, forming super teams, leaving their their teams in the Eastern Conference, joining the West. There is a real pattern going on here. So Haywood is doing the opposite. He's leaving the Western Conference and going to the East, an Eastern Conference that lacks real superstar talent. So over the next four, five, six years, expect Gordon Haywood to be a starting guard or wing player for the Eastern Conference in the NBA All-Star game. This is great for Haywood. This is great for his exposure. Great for his brand. What about winning? Utah Jazz made a good playoff run this year with the talent that they had, but the Boston Celtics played in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, yes, they got smashed and steamrolled by LeBron James and the Cavaliers, who dominated them. But Haywood joins that team, and they're guaranteed to make the Eastern Conference Finals again. So winning, winning 50-plus games every year, being on TV in the Eastern Conference Finals each year of this contract, a possible shot at making the NBA Finals. And then, of course, there's the money. The money side of things, yes. He could have, got, could have got paid more in Utah. Five years at around about $170 million. Or he can take the four years at $127 million, which he did in Boston. Either way, it's very, very, very good cash. Now, at the conclusion of this contract, of this four-year deal with Boston, it'll take Haywood... It'll take Haywood to 
around about 27, 28 years of age, where he can up the ante again and take an even bigger deal over four or five years. This deal was an absolute no-brainer for Gordon Haywood. And he's made the right decision. And the dominoes will start to fall now and the league will start to take shape. This is no holds barred. So more signings in the NBA. After the Haywood deal settled down, there were a couple of minor moves that took place. And I say minor because that's really what they are. But they are a couple of quality players. We've got Zach Randolph, who there was rumours about the league that he was going to join the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron. I'm really sure up their, uh, their big man stakes. But big Zach Randolph, big Zebo as he is known around the league. The veteran, the big power forward, has joined the Sacramento Kings on a deal. And former Utah Jazz point guard George Hill, who was there with Haywood in Utah last year, he's decided to go with him. So Zach Randolph and George Hill have joined the Sacramento Kings. So not only has the Utah Jazz lost Haywood to Boston their all-star guard, but they've also lost their point guard, George Hill, who's left the Jazz and joined the mediocre Sacramento Kings. Now, I say these are minor deals. They may be big deals for the Sacramento Kings, picking up two somewhat quality players, but the Sacramento Kings are no threat. They're basically irrelevant, and they're going nowhere. Another deal that took place, the Los Angeles Clippers, who have been in free fall since the Chris Paul move to the Houston Rockets, they did re-sign flashy, high-jumping uh, power forward Blake Griffin to a $173 million deal to keep him in Los Angeles. I think this move was made really out of desperation more than anything. Really uh, damage control after Chris Paul left town and said... I can't take it anymore. I'm out of here. But the Los Angeles Clippers have now signed De Niro Gallinari to a three-year deal. Gallinari, the Italian bomber, about six foot ten, really, really talented and gifted offensive player. But since joining the league, he's been nothing but injury prone. But he is a quality player when he's in full flight. He's just only in full flight probably 50% of the time because the rest of the time he's on the injured reserve list. But Gallinari will join the Clippers on a three-year deal. So there were some minor deals that took place as soon as Haywood committed and it came out that he was joining the Boston Celtics. So when it's all said and done, teams will start to settle down now. Carmelo Anthony is still out there. He'll be the next one that... Teams will be looking to manoeuvre and make moves and to get. So that will be interesting to see what pans out there. Will the Houston Rockets get mellow? Or will the, will the Cleveland Cavaliers get him on board? So they have James, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, and then Carmelo Anthony. That is an attractive lineup.
it still may not be enough to topple the Golden State Warriors, but it sure would be interesting. This is no holds barred. Advance on my wrist, phoning your women, drunk off coronas and lemon, and you know I'm still right in the mean, light in the green. I need the buggy, even though I look So we've got live Wimbledon action here in the studio. We've got results coming in left, right and centre. And we've got live action with Andy Murray on centre court with Dustin Brown. The flashy, unpredictable German. Got off to a hot start, but he's cooled down substantially. And he's in a real, real hole. They're in, they are in the third set. And Andy Murray, two sets to love up and leads 5-2. He's uh, very close to moving through to the third round, as expected. Just playing a steady brand of tennis, hitting a lot of balls back, playing defense. And it's been entertaining so far, but Dustin Brown is loose as can be. He is all over the place. You never know what you're going to get with this guy. And uh, he's putting in one of those performances where... It's a bit of a circus act out there at the moment instead of uh, steady, professional, Wimbledon-focused tennis. Uh, and this will be done and dusted here very, very soon. Murray's about to come out to serve for the, serve for the match. Uh, another result came through. Key Nishikori, the Japanese superstar, has defeated uh, Stoikovsky of the Ukraine in four sets. That was a very tough match there for Nishikori. He made hard work of that, but he battled through. He looked like he was under a little bit of stress there in the in the third set. They were one set apiece, but he put the foot down on the accelerator, dominated set three, and then got through set number four in a tiebreaker. And uh, the former US Open finalist moved through to round three, so a good result for Nishikori. Grass, not his... Not his most favoured surface. He prefers the, the hard courts where he can move around, use his, his court speed and quickness and explosiveness. Uh, the grass, the footing's not the same. The movement's a little bit different. So it brings him back to the field a little bit, but he's through to round three unscathed, so he'll take that any day of the week. If he can get himself into the second week, uh, he may be able to do some damage there uh, against some of the, the better guys when the courts start to to toughen up and roughen up a bit. They're very slippery during the first week, and if you can get through the first week, uh, they start to play more more like a hard court in week number two. That's what Nishikori's looking for, and that's what he'll get if he can win another couple more rounds here during the first week. Um, as I said earlier on, Joe Wilfred Songer was dominant and impressive. 6-1-7-5-6-2 over the Italian Bellelli. Bellelli's a good grass court player. Songer made light work of him. He steamrolled him like a freight train. And Joe Wilfred, there's been no talk of Joe Wilfred being a threat here. Um, and that's fair enough as well. But his first two rounds have been as top quality and as impressive as any player in the draw. Um, so keep your eye on Joe Wilfred Songer as the championships progress. He's got a pretty good draw. Uh, and as things start to hot up, no one will be wanting to come across uh, the big Frenchman because when he's in full flight, he is an impressive force. And uh, he has the potential to beat anybody on his day. Uh, Novak Djokovic uh, has a quite a, an easy uh, second-round match uh, for his standards. 
uh, in round number two. But if you take a look at the draw, uh, above him is Juan Martin Del Potro, the Argentinian who took out our boy Kokonakis in round one. And uh, those two are set up for a, a round three blockbuster, uh, which will get major, major attention this first week of the tournament. Novak uh, won the tournament in Eastbourne last week at 250 level. Uh, he wanted to get some more matches in to uh, get some practice, get uh, get his feel for the grass. He's had a patchy season uh, so far this year, Novak. He, he's battling with some, some off-court dramas that have been dragging on for the last 12 months. He has not been the same player. He's lost his edge, and uh, Federer and Nadal and Varinka have gone past him uh, in terms of... Uh, their uh, consistent form week in, week out. So Novak's looking to get his edge back. I'm not too sure if he can find that, but Del Potro was really going to test him in round number three if both those guys, as expected, get through. And I'm not counting out uh, big Del Potro to cause the upset there over Novak Djokovic because, as I said, he has lost his edge. Uh, he's, he's lost his drive. He hasn't got the, uh, the, the mental fortitude that he had 18 months ago, and that one should be a blockbuster Round three. Oh. So Novak and Delpo are set to collide round three in a blockbuster matchup at Wimbledon. Yes, they've got some work to do. They've got to uh, win their second round match. Novak uh, should get through playing uh, a bit of a journeyman. Uh, Pavlosek, I believe, for the Czech Republic. Um, this guy should not pose a threat to Novak Djokovic. And Del Potro playing, uh, I believe it's Ernest Gulbis, who's a dangerous player, but Delpo um, should be full of uh, should look co- full of confidence after his victory over our boy Kokonakis in round one. Delpo moving up the rankings after coming back from uh, debilitating wrist injuries that threaten to uh, derail his career, not only derail his career, but end his career. Um, and he's now up to 29 in the world and is slowly chipping away, trying to work his way back into the top 20 and then um, hopefully back into the top 10 where he belongs. He has been a top five player in the world. He was a US Open champion um, from 2010. And um, Del Potro, on his day, is one of the best players you will ever come across. Hits an incredibly hard ball off the deck. Uh, stands about six foot five, six foot six. Has got a massive flat forehand that when he hits it at, at maximum velocity, it's virtually unplayable. You know, it's probably the heaviest one on tour. Uh, he moves well for a big man, uh, and he's got a very, very good, te- very, very good temperament uh, for a tennis player. You, you don't win Grand Slams if you if you can't keep your emotions in check. Uh, and he poses a real threat from Novak. Novak would be nervous on that one. He would have lo- seen the draw. He would have looked above his head there and, and uh, seen Big Del Potro breathing down his neck. And uh, Novak would already be thinking about that one um, as, uh, as a possibility moving forward. So, no, Novak Djokovic is an interesting one. He was dominant there a couple of years ago, uh, sitting at number one in the world. I believe he only lost a handful of matches over a two-year period. That record stacks up with anybody in world tennis uh, since the inceptions of the world rankings on the ATP Tour. And uh, since then, he's dropped from one in the world to four. He currently sits at four in the world, and he's not the same player as he used to be. He's lost his mental edge. He's lost his, uh, he's lost his, uh, his desire, I believe. 
he's lost, uh, you know, he's on edge quite a bit uh, because he's battling with these off-field uh, issues that he can't seem to shake over the last 18 months. Um, so he needs to get it together. He needs to get it together fast uh, because uh, he needs to get his... Uh, he needs to get his game back. He needs to get the total the total package back. He needs to get his mental fortitude and his mental toughness back, which, you know, w- which was leading him to so much success. Uh, guys were not able to break him down because he was just had that incredible inner belief uh, that he was the best player in the world, and uh, he had built that up over time. Because when he first came on tour, he didn't did not have that. He was actually quite soft. He had a reputation for retiring hurt in uh, a lot of matches, and uh, he had to shake that tag. Uh, but now he's slipped back uh, slipped back to the pack a little bit, and Juan Martin Del Potro is going to give him all kinds of trouble uh, if they meet in round three. So fans will be excited about this one. It should be an absolute beauty, and uh, I will definitely be watching this one and uh, with anticipation. So uh, Delpo versus Novak. You'll be hearing more about this over the next couple of days. Hopefully these guys get through. It should be an absolute cracking contest. So that's the show. It's been, uh, it's been smooth sailing today. It's been, uh, it's been a ripper. Hayward to Boston, just as I predicted. They got, they got their man. So the dominoes will start to... F- Take place now. Carmelo Anthony, he'll be the next one. We'll see where he uh, where he moves on to. And then, of course, we're going to have more live Wimbledon tomorrow, tomorrow evening, from the studio. Federer in action. Nadal in action. So things are starting to take shape. It's been a great show. I look forward to uh, more talking more NBA hoops and more tennis on tomorrow's program. This is no holds barred. Then you haven't met the apes. Stop, stop, shut them down. Open up, shop. Oh, no, that's how rough fighters go. Stop, stop, shut them down. Open up, shop. Oh, no, that's how rough fighters go. Niggas wanna try, niggas wanna lie, niggas wanna lie. Die. All I know is pain, all I feel is rain, how can I maintain, with that shit on my brain, 